right. Uh, hi, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Janet. I'm one of the ministry interns here um, at Cornerstone, and I, uh, I serve in the college ministry. Um, and I, I'm, it's been a while, but I'm here to deliver the word of God for us this morning. Um, so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, or I guess it's past five weeks, um, today is our last day in our sermon series entitled Entrusted. Uh, maximizing our kingdom influence. And so we've been going through First and Second Timothy um, to learn from Scripture how to steward our influence. And this not for worldly gain or worldly pleasure, but for the glory of God. And our final message in the series comes from Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, uh, to chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, it's a long, uh, long passage, but feel free to follow along in your Bibles, on your phones, or up on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, 
Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us really quick. Father God, we come before your word. God, we come before you in humility and ask God that you would speak to us through your word. That God, you would stir our hearts to hear what you have to say, to learn from your scripture, your holy scripture, and to learn to live as those saved by the gospel. And so we ask that you would be with us and bless this time. And God, may you just be among us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, this is on. So many of us know the saying that goes, there are two types of people in the world. And so I have a few examples of types of people. First... There's the alarms, right? There's the people who need just one and the people who need, let's be realistic, more than three. Next we have an... Oh, it went away. There we go. Next we have texters. We have people who text rapidly, short, with all these emojis and the laughing, and the people who can say the exact same thing in one message. Next, we have people who can... Who, lo- who just need to have their notifications just at zero, and those who leave it to get accumulate to the thousands upon thousands. And lastly, toilet paper. This is, I actually have a friend who, after he got married, spent, I think, around 30 minutes explaining to his wife why the one on the left was the right way. So looking at all of those images, right, I'm sure many of us generally relate to one type of person over the other and probably know of others who maybe fall in the same category as you or the other category. And what this saying or I guess meme or whatever it is, is really just highlighting something that we all know, which is that people are different. And sometimes when those differences are boiled down to the simplest of things, you end up with two types of people. And in our passage this morning, Paul is saying something pretty similar to that. In the first nine verses of our passage, he's saying, Timothy, there are godless people in the world. Right? He writes things like they will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, slanderous, lacking self-control, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, just to name a few of them. But then Paul says, you, however. He says, you, however. And essentially, Paul is saying, Timothy, there are two types of people in the world, the godless and you. Those who do not know God and those who do. And today, I want us to look at this passage kind of like this. There are godless people in this world. People who fit that very description in the first nine verses of our passage. You cornerstone church however 
So what is this, however, supposed to indicate? What's the differentiating factor here? Of course, it's Timothy's love and devotion for God. But more specifically, it's Timothy's foundation of Scripture. Scripture sets us apart from the world. And if Scripture is the differentiating factor, then we need to know what it is, what it does, and why it's important. So we're going to anchor ourselves. I know we, it was a long passage, but we're going to anchor ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, to answer some of these questions. So we're going to read these verses again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what is scripture? Scripture is truth. And not just any truth. Scripture is the capital T truth. In verse 16, we read, all scripture is breathed out by God. And in the NIV translation, it reads, all scripture is God breathed, which reflects the literal translation of the Greek word. And some versions also read inspired by God. And this word is actually only used one time in the entire New Testament, and it is rarely seen in pre-Christian literature. Because this word expresses the divine origin or source of scripture. Meaning the Bible that we have, that we read, that we have on our phones now, is from God himself. It is the actual breath of God. It contains the very words of God. We have scripture because it pleased God to use multiple human authors filled and led by the Holy Spirit to write and record the word of God and to preserve it over thousands upon thousands of years that we might know him, know Jesus and the gospel, and by faith be saved to an eternity with him. And scripture testifies to this numerous times. Like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Or in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Skip to verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if we believe in God, that he is the creator God, all-knowing, perfect, holy, righteous, etc., etc., and if scripture is the word of God, then we must also believe that scripture is truth. And this might actually be very difficult for us to grasp today because our culture completely rejects this idea. Our society doesn't believe or accept capital T truths. We live in a world that believes in my truths and your truths. A world that believes there is no right or wrong way to do anything, and how dare you try to tell me otherwise. And people seem to think and say, for the most part, that truth 
is all about how we experience it, how we feel it, what feels right, what feels true. But that's not what truth is. Truth is truth regardless of how we feel about it. For instance, let's say in a class you get a lower grade than you expected. I'm sorry to the students in the room. You get a lower grade than you expected. And maybe you're feeling worried or confused, anxious. Maybe you're horrified. And you think to yourself, how can this be my grade? Or, wait, I worked so hard. I did, I did so much work for this class. Like, how can this be my grade? But then when you look at the grade breakdown, maybe you're missing an assignment or two, or you didn't get full points on all your assignments. Maybe there was a paper or a report that you didn't turn in or you didn't actually do that well on or an exam that you forgot to study for, or maybe you did study for and you just didn't do as well as you had hoped. So then when you add up all of that, when you add up all the scores, all the numbers, you crunch the numbers, your grade is still your grade. At the end of the day, truth is truth, and the world can't function without it. And it doesn't mean that you can't wrestle with it or that you can't be confused by it. But it does mean that whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, truth is truth. And truth should always remain true in order for us to call it that, shouldn't it? If truth is constantly changing or truth can be proven wrong, that's not truth, that's an opinion or a theory. And I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I would much rather put my faith in truth than in someone's opinion or a theory. But all of that aside, Paul isn't even writing here trying to convince Timothy that scripture is truth. He's saying, Timothy, you're different from the world because you already know this. And as Christians, we already know this too. We know that scripture is the word of God and that God's word is truth. And the way we, we apply that, really, is it's very simple. Read scripture. We need to make time to read scripture, let it sink deeply into our hearts, meditate upon the truth that we might understand it and know the truth. Right? That's why many Sundays you hear, read your Bible. It's because it's truth. So that's our baseline. Scripture is truth. So what does scripture do in our lives? If we continue reading in verse 16, we learn that scripture influences how we live. That's the whole point of our series, right? It influences how we live. Paul writes that scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Scripture, right, is profitable to us, meaning scripture is good for us. It's beneficial for us. It teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. It influences how we live. That's why many of us are here week to week, is it not? We come, at least partially, I hope, (laughs) to hoping to gain new insight or learn something about God, learn how to live out our faith day to day. How to steward, and for our series in particular, how to steward our influence and have it, how to steward our godly influence in the world. 
And it's actually even written on our church website. If you go to the sermon, like if you go to the listen tab, it says at the top, we believe that the word of God is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct, which is why it is preached every Sunday at Cornerstone. What we're doing every week is seeking wisdom and truth from God's word to influence how we live. And Paul emphasizes in verse 14, a little bit earlier than the passage we're sort of anchoring ourselves in, the need for us to continue to let scripture be our foundation. To continue allowing the word of God to influence us in every aspect of our lives. Because Paul writes in chapter 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And Paul writes this in this future prophetic tense, which at the time people would have understood to mean that that future time was their current reality. That future time was happening right then and there, and it is certainly happening today. Everyone seeking teachers, ideas, and lifestyles that agree with their own thoughts and desires. Everyone seeks their own truth because it suits them. It fits them. It fits what they think. And how easy it is to do that and how tempting. Right, when we're, let's say like, Just a simple example. When we're feeling overwhelmed and stressed, the world teaches us that we need to self-care, to take time for ourselves, to say no to anything that might add to our stress. The world tells us to stop thinking so much and to just relax, to pay attention to our needs above others, and to put ourselves first. And this doesn't sound all that bad. It sounds like something a lot of us might need, especially because many of us tend to overwork ourselves. So it sounds like something we could potentially get on board with, right? Self-care. It's a huge thing today. But when I think about the way the world teaches it, and I think to myself, but I've never read anywhere in Scripture that I should put myself first. Rather, Scripture asks us, what's going on in your heart? Are you keeping the Sabbath? Have you forgotten that you are not God? Are you stressed and overwhelmed because you're placing your worth and identity in your studies, your career or financial status, your marriage, your children? Have you forgotten that you are worth the blood of Christ and your identity is an heir with him? Scripture teaches us to cast our anxieties Onto Jesus and to rest in Jesus, knowing that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yeah, maybe this means we'll still be encouraged to incorporate some self care habits, but certainly not for the same motivations. Following this false teaching of self care would eventually lead us to live a very self centered life. But scripture teaches us and leads us to live. A Christ-centered life. Because a solid foundation in scripture helps us distinguish false teaching from sound teaching. Because sometimes false teaching is really easy, really obvious, and easy to reject. But other times, many times, it's subtle. 
And it sounds pretty good and maybe even seems harmless. But false teaching will always lead us away from God. Because false teaching rejects the word of God simply because it is false and scripture is truth. Scripture influences us to live according to the will of God because it contains the will of God. And it contains the will of God because it is from God. Scripture influences how we live. And we allow scripture to influence how we live by examining all things through the lens of scripture. We search scripture, not the media, not the news, or the world around us. But we search scripture for truth And allow our hearts and our minds be shaped, transformed, and influenced by the word of God. That we may know and love the truth, thereby rejecting all false teaching. So what exactly is the outcome of this influence? What's the purpose? Verse 17 tells us the purpose of scripture, of all the teaching, rebuking, training, is that scripture equips us. For every good work. Scripture, right, it reads, is breathed out by God. It's profitable so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And one commentator writes that the good work refers to the practical outworking of the gospel. Right? Scripture isn't just for us to know. The influence of scripture is not simply experienced in your or my life alone. The influence of scripture shows in how you live it out, how you live in the world. Scripture is important because its purpose is to equip us to live it out. And this is where you see the difference between the godless and the godly. Because just as the godless are going to be judged by the contents of their hearts and the actions that flow from that heart, so are we, the ones who have been made godly by the blood of Christ, going to be judged as well. And this makes sense, right? Like even for when, when Paul became, when Paul was saved and he wanted to go around preaching to preaching to the Gentiles, he, he goes to Jerusalem and he goes to the disciples and he wants to be with them. And they're like, no, like, I'm pretty sure you're just going to try to kill us. But because he had, the gospel had so changed his life, there was somebody, there was Barnabas who could vouch for him and say, no, he's changed. And I can tell by what he does. And this doesn't mean that our works or what we do is the most important thing in our faith. That's not what I'm saying. This means that scripture will influence and shape our hearts and our actions. The two go together. And through scripture, we are able to learn how to live out the gospel because Christ empowers us to do so. And by living out the gospel, we influence others to live out the gospel too. Our lives become a powerful witness to the power and truth of the gospel. Even for Timothy, Paul writes was influenced by others. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, a chapter that we went through earlier in our series, Paul writes of Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, and how their faith influenced Timothy. 
And parents in the room, or maybe soon-to-be parents in the room, this might be especially significant to you because, parents, you have significant influence in the faith journey of your children. Just as Eunice and Lois, their faith affected Timothy. Because what your children learn in school, what they learn in church, will always be secondary to what they learn and see at home until at least they grow up and mature. And even in our passage this morning, Paul encourages Timothy to remember Paul's life and to remember the teachers who taught him how to love and study scripture. And many of us here in this room, I'm sure, have been influenced by the word of God and others by others who love Jesus and who lived lives influenced by the word of God too. And if we really think about it, none of us would actually be in this room if the gospel were not revealed to us through scripture. Like, unless you are alive when Jesus was doing his ministry here on earth, there is no way for you to hear the gospel unless by the word of God. And as we've been talking about throughout this whole series, we too will influence others by how we live. So here is Paul's charge to Timothy and to us in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He writes, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We are to preach the word, and the word for preach here really just means to announce publicly. It's not necessarily the formal preaching that we understand today. And to be ready to preach the word in and out of season, which really means in the Greek, in opportune and inopportune times. So whether, that means, so whether it's the, you think it's the right time or place, whether, whether you think the people around you agree with it or not, be ready to share and live out the gospel. You don't have to hide your faith from others. You don't always have to wait for it to come up in conversation or to come up in passing. Paul writes, be bold and share the gospel with others. He says, confront and rebuke false teachers and teachings, not aggressively, but with all patience and understanding and teaching. And he writes, exhort others to accept and live out the gospel too. He says, to be equipped for every good work, live out the gospel in every area of your life, whether in school, in, um, in church, your workplace, your families, wherever you might be, allow scripture to equip you for every good work. And this is really what Jesus lived and died for, for us to do this, for us to have scripture in order to live it out. So we read scripture, we examine all things through the lens of scripture, and we share and live out the gospel at all times, the gospel that we find in scripture. Because how are you going to How are you going to know God without reading scripture? How are you going to love your community, both in and outside the church, if you don't know God's standard for loving your community? 
How will you navigate through difficulties or sufferings in life if you don't know the promise of hope in Scripture? We have to read, examine, and live out our faith by the power of Christ through Scripture. Because Scripture is essential to the Christian. And this letter to Timothy, right, Paul writes this towards the end of his life. He is passing on the torch, so to speak, to Timothy. And for us today, he's passing on the torch to us. And he warns us and he reminds us that it will not be easy. He writes, he actually writes just straight up, like, it's going to be hard. You will be persecuted. Because as the world fills with more and more false teaching, it will be all the more difficult for those who, who cling to the truth of scripture. But still, he encourages us to remain rooted in scripture, to ensure that it influences our lives and to fulfill the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And why does he say this? Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Like Paul, at the end of our days, we will stand before the righteous judge. And on that day, we're going to give an account of our lives. Of how we stewarded or squandered our godly influence. No one else's opinion will matter. No false teacher or teaching will be able to stand or say anything in the presence of the Lamb of God. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And on this day, those who fight the good fight who devote themselves to scripture, who finish the race and live out the gospel and keep the faith, will be welcomed home. And now I want to propose something to all of us today. As we reflect on this sermon series, maybe for some of us, things that we've learned at retreats that we've been at, as we reflect on how we can live out the gospel and steward our godly influence, Consider this. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who love God, who are devoted to Scripture and to living out the gospel that they read in Scripture. There are those who fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. And all of this not by their own strength, but by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. And there are those who don't. Cornerstone Church, which of these two people do you want to be? If I could ask all of us to just close our eyes and just go into a time of prayer and reflection, I'll ask the worship team to come up. Spend some time praying and reflecting on the sermon series. Maybe the question I pose at the end. 
whatever it may be, whatever God is putting on your hearts, reflect upon it. And praise team will lead us in a couple of songs to close. But as we close out this series and we close out this service, uh, let me pray for us one more time. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the word who has become flesh. That, God, you lived out all that we see in scripture. That you lived and died, fulfilling everything perfectly so that we might be able to live it out as well. And God, we confess that we are weak, that scripture is not something that we always prioritize or think of as important at all. And we confess that often we find ourselves following false teachings and not following the truth that we see and read in scripture. But God, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, We are corrected and rebuked and trained in righteousness. That we can live out our lives stewarding this godly influence and that we can bring your light, your salvation to the whole world because of what you have done on the cross for us. And so God, we rely not on our own ability to incorporate spiritual disciplines necessarily although God we pray and ask that God you would help us to do that but God we rely solely on the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and Lord I pray that Cornerstone Church that we this church would be a church that preaches the good news to all who would hear it God, make us more and more like you. Help us to love scripture for it to be as sweet as honey as the psalmist wrote. And that we could confess this song over and over again. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We pray that it would influence our lives every day until we see you face to face.